to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. How many of you were here last week? How many of you enjoyed last week? Yeah. So hopefully the same amount of hands. Um, Last week, if you missed it, you missed out one service. Um, which was amazing. Uh, and and uh, I got a few emails, which I'll, I'll respond to publicly here. Um, uh, we had, I just want to say thanks for showing up. It was such a great experience to have just a, a family event. Talk about family, experience family. We had 17 community group. Thank you, community group leaders. You guys are awesome. Um, seriously, uh, that, that was, last week was one of my favorite moments of being a part of the garden ever. No joke. Uh, it's to see the leaders on stage. I mean, that was a prayer. There was a prayer that, God, would you send 30 people to our church? <laughs> Let alone 30 leaders, plus leaders, just stepping out and doing church home, church in their homes. Um, and most of those groups have over 20-something people signed up in them. I mean, this, I think we have, I don't know, we don't know yet, but probably 80% hopefully signed up of, of our attendance on Sunday. Um, so we'll confirm that next week. So you can't quote me. Um, actually, you should never quote me. So anyways, um, um, so that was amazing. Uh, what else was amazing? Yeah, like, obviously, it was a great event. So gl- thankful for you guys to participate in that. Um, for those of you that were like, hey, I really want to go back to one service. Um, I just wanted to respond. Oh, there's a run- runaway stroller back there <laughs> down the aisle. Um, I just want to respond. <laughs> Luckily, the baby was not involved in there. <laughs> Uh, you know, look around. I mean, you can see a lot of empty seats in this one service. The second service, you'll see a, a similar attendance. But for me, um, it, it, as much as the energy felt great, it felt great to all be together, for us to have like a packed, energetic service. Guys, the empty seats are our are, are mission field. It's a reminder of what we're here for. I don't want one service. I want five services filled with new Christians. And that's why we're here. And so if you really, you know, if you want us to get a big venue to do one service, we're not, we might get a bigger venue because we need three more services filling those big, big, that bigger venue. So for us, we're going to keep going after the lost. We're going to keep making room for the people that aren't here. And it might not feel as energetic or as full, but guess what? We're, our job is to make it full, right? So if you want, if you want a packed service full of energy, um, just invite some friends, <laughs> Right. So that's just a reminder. It's a good a vision just to remind us that um, we're about filling these seats, not to have a seat filled, but about reach, the story behind it. Amen? Amen? Okay, so worship. We're going to talk about worship this morning. Um, and uh, we're doing a marker series, meaning we're talking about six words that we want our community to be anchored in over the next um, few years of our existence for the rest of our lives, basically, as a church. And the first marker was Jesus, which is a pretty good marker for any church. I hope that most churches are founded on Jesus, but we wanted to make it perfectly clear um, who we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus, because there are a lot of Jesuses out there where people think um, that they're following the right Jesus, but that Jesus just like, looks like um, the people that are worshiping that, that Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, he wants you to have the white picket fence dream. He wants you to just put a little money in the bucket. He wants you to just add him onto his life, not redefine your entire existence. So we made sure that the Jesus we're following, in fact, I commissioned us, I challenged us to actually say a prayer to that Jesus because so many of us are confused by the other Jesuses in the world um, that we are saying, no, that garden's going to be, be built on this Jesus. And so um, that, if you missed that, pod, uh, that, that Sunday, I podcast it, please, because that's, a definition, that's definitely kind of the corner marker for our church. You with me? 
Last week we talked about family and what it looks like to be the church. That family uh, means everyone has a place at the table. Family means that uh, uh, we, we, believe, or we belong before we believe. So if you're here and you're checking us out and you don't know anything about Jesus or Christianity, well, we believe you can belong to Christianity before you actually believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's good news because you belong before you believe and you believe before you behave. Does that make sense? Some of us are like, that just went over my head. That's okay. Come back next week, you'll figure it out, okay? Or just live like you normally live on Monday and you'll see, oh yeah, I get it. Um, so, here we're going to get into worship. And so this morning, um, I just want to make a couple of statements and then uh, we're going to talk through one particular passage. I do need a stand of some sort. I'm going to borrow this one, Cynthia. Um, and so here, here's the deal. Now you're going to need a Bible, but before we jump into the Bible, I just thought I'd have a couple of statements about worship and, and get us on the same page before we begin to define worship at the garden. Are you with me? Okay, so uh, we all worship. So whether you are a Christian or not, whether you're religious or spiritual or not, human, humans were designed to worship. To worship is to be human, and uh, uh, worship is essential for being human. According to Genesis, because I believe my assumption that I'm bringing into this talk is this, that you and I and all humans were created to live in this, this space, this transcendent space of being connected to the life source, which is God. Humans were designed to live in this space where our souls, our entire soul, our entire selves, our capacity of what makes us the essence of who we are is originally designed to live in this place where we are always connected, perfect relationship with the creator of all things, God. So because of that, worship is absolutely important for what it means to be human. You with me? So that's my, my assumption bringing into this that we're all worshipers, whether you're a believer or not. So the first point I want to make this morning is where you direct your worship matters. Write this down. Where you direct your worship matters. It's a terrible mistake to assume that the world is a neutral space, that where you live is a neutral territory. Um, far from neutral, the space we live is very much contested. Your homes, your workplaces, your, your lives, your neighborhoods, the world around us is up for grabs by real forces that want to bend you in a particular way. Um, our lives are being shaped not by chance and not even by choice, but by those forces vying to bend us in that particular way. We are by default the fruit of the world. You with me? We are naturally moved and shaped, and that becomes fruit in our lives by those forces vying for our attention, striving, they're working towards us. So we naturally move uh, from rest to exhaustion in this day and age. It's, it's not natural for us to be people of rest. Which, I mean, we're just busy about it. We move from, from faith, which is natural, to doubt, from love to insecurity and fear. Naturally, by these forces around us shaping our world and worldviews. We move from community to individual, individualism naturally. We don't have to be told um, that something's yours. Like a kid doesn't learn that it's his. He doesn't go to school saying, share. They go to school saying, mine. You know what I'm talking about? 
My 10-month-old is already getting a handle on this. We had some kids, babies over. My wife does a mom's group, and they were hanging out. And he was kind of a little off that other kids were playing with his toys. And he was, he was for sure, like, going up to the walker. And just kids were right, just, like, kicking him out of the way and standing like, like this is mine. Like, this, this is not yours. And that's 10 months already. And he's already needing a savior. True story. <laughs> Especially in the middle of the night when he wakes up crying. But he doesn't do that very much anymore. So that's a good thing. Um, so we live in a world that we move from naturally being generous to being full of greed. You with me? And so the result of this ha- haunting spiritual truth is just a recognition that our, where we put our worship matters. That everyone worships and where that worship is directed is really important for how it impacts and influences our lives. You with me? And I, before we go into the scriptures, because I want to, some of you, you know, like, why does the Bible matter? Well, we believe the Bible is authoritative on all things in life, that which it speaks of. And so we want to draw from that source. But some of us, we're, we're not bought into that yet. But I want to prove to you outside of the scriptures. Uh, and I want to show you how the, the scriptures come alongside truths that are spoken in the world. And so there's a famous um, uh, speech done by a guy named David Foster Wallace. And I've shared this here a few times. And this particular quote is haunting because it's accurate and he's a guy who ended up dying a few years ago but he gave his speech he's a writer he's a professor brilliant mind he's a brilliant speaker on culture but he died um um, he actually committed suicide oddly enough because he's struggling with depression but he speaks at this college about something in this speech and, and it totally speaks to what we're talking about and this is what he says he says everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is to worship, uh, uh, to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start, age starts to show, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious things, uh, thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. He's not a Christian. The fact that we worship something, he says, that's our default setting. That's what we are designed to do. That's what we were made to do. And we do it so natural. And we, 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 um, we, if you want to know what you worship, look for the things in your life that bring you meaning and purpose and significance and shape your identity. We talk about idols. We're talking about the things in our lives that bring value. And there are good things that are totally kingdom values. And then there are things that are just full of emptiness. The direction of your worship directly impacts the fruit of your life. N.T. Wright says this. I love his, his quote. He says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Right? We see it all over the place. And the truth is, um, these people, N.T. Wright, he's a biblical theologian, a historical theologian, and, and um, 
And this speaker, David Foster Wallace, is, is not Christian at all, but he speaks to the truth of what scriptures say. Actually, Paul says this same thing in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to spend our time in Romans 1 and Romans 12 today as we define what worship is. But we have to understand it from this perspective that you're directing your worship towards all sorts of stuff right now. And just because you're Christian and just because you sing songs on Sunday doesn't mean you're worshiping the right, in the right direction day to day. You with me? So Paul says this, he says the same thing, uh, and Paul, let's just a little background for those of you that are new. Romans is an amazing book, it's complex, it's the gospel in a nutshell, and Paul never, he was, uh, he was longing to visit Rome, he eventually gets there before he's killed, and, um, but he, he writes this letter to a, a, a church that's full of disunity, uh, various cultures, various languages, various belief systems, and they're all together in one church. And it's not a church like this. It's more like community groups. There's a bunch of community groups in Rome, the heart of the empire, the Roman empire in the first century. And he writes them this, this letter and, and it's full of doctrine and theology and all sorts of amazing things. And, and most scholars believe this is probably what Paul would be preaching if he had gone to Rome to plant that church. He's teaching them this stuff. And in Romans chapter one, he, he begins um, his story with just the, the whole story of humanity and the gospel. And this is what's so profound. is 11 chapters of doctrine and gospel. This is what God has done. This is the problem with humanity. This is what God did to fix it. And then he transitions in chapter 12. But let's start in chapter 1 because look at what Paul says. Um, his, his pro, what he diagnoses as the problem of humanity. Remember I said last week that the oldest human problem is loneliness. But the greatest human problem. Paul addresses here. He says in uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself through the beauty that you see when you walk out this door, when you watch a sunset, when you go to Yosemite and you're reminded of how vast and large this world is. When you see a sky without smog and cloud coverage and you go to the desert and you see the stars and you see how big this universe really is. God has revealed himself to everyone through natural revelation, through, through creation. And then he goes on for all. He talks. And now he, we're not talking about a specific people group. We're talking about us. And one of the ways that I love the, the, the way the Jewish community saw the Old Testament scriptures is all the stories, all the scriptures were, were telling their story. They are a part of the story. And this is part of our story. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the, than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is Paul's uh, view of humanity. Look, it all starts with humans failing to recognize that God is the one who created all things. 
And, and the, the greatest human problem is not for sin. It's, it's ingratitude, which leads to idolatry. The real problem is idol worship. Did you catch that? It says uh, they, they claimed to be wise and became fools. Oh, before that, it says they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. It starts with ingratitude. It moves to idolatry. You begin to worship the other things that give you meaning, purpose, and significance. The things that help you control this and manage this world around you. And yeah, we don't worship reptiles, although some people still do. But we worship uh, uh, people's approval of ourselves. We worship ourselves. We worship all sorts of false things. We worship our careers, our dreams, money, power, safety, and security. And those things become the way we manage life. And when we do that, we miss that it's not about those things. It's about him who created those things. Idolatry then moves on to God handing us over to immorality. So we follow those desires. If you guys, uh, if we, if we uh, long for safety and security, what becomes the result and fruit of our life? Fear and anxiety. God hands us over. Hands us over. If it's power, then, then what is it that we, we want to have control over our relationships? Have you ever met someone that, that dealt with power and it seems like all they want to do, every statement that they make is about controlling the outcomes? God handed them over to that way of thinking, which in, in, as a direct result leads to a, a failed relationship in life. And it continues on. I mean, we could talk about all other immorality. He talks about specifically sinful desires here, which is accurate. You just follow those desires and then eventually he'll continue on. We didn't read this. And it talks about being enslaved to those desires. So what is Paul saying? Well, where your worship is directed directly. uh, Let me start over. Where you direct your worship directly impacts your life. What starts as ingratitude to God leads to idolatry, to immorality, and eventually to imprisonment where we become enslaved by the things we worship. You with me? You become like that which you worship. This is the fundamental human problem. So if we worship sex, for example, the freedom of our sexuality, we will eventually be led to a place of imprisonment where we can't choose not to look at pornography. To cross that boundary with that significant other that is not our wife. Those things become our lives and fruit of the world that is bending us a particular way. Where you direct your worship matters. And if that statement is true, if where you direct your worship matters, then the only logical conclusion is to worship the only person, the only God that actually makes sense to worship, right? That if we're designed to worship and, we're, and if, if the result of our life of worshiping the wrong things leads us to slavery, then the logical conclusion then is to worship the, the one being that is worth our worship. Because if we become like what we worship, then we're going to become like him. And I don't know what God you worship, but the God I worship is awesome. And that's what's so profound. So uh, chapter 12, I want you to go to chapter 12. But don't get there fast. And if you have an app, you're just going to miss out on all this. I just want you to just flip around for a moment. Just just look at the the titles of chapter two. What comes after chapter two? Yeah, that's right. We got one person that was here last week. (laughs) 
Paul writes this argument, the story of humanity. He talks about the human condition, the purpose of Abraham and and God entering back into the story to to fix what was wrong with humanity. Right. And then he moves into uh, the, the history of Israel and then he gets to Jesus and talks about his life. He talks about his death and his resurrection. And then he talks about all of us being found guilty uh, of sin and, and, and missing the mark of, of what it means to be human. And, and he says there's no way we could do it on our own. And then all of us stand under judgment and wrath of God. But then because of Jesus, we can now stand under mercy and grace. All of humanity needs a savior. And guess what? God did everything according to those 11 chapters to summarize for you. So chapters 1 through 11 is doctrine, theology, the gospel, the indicative. This is what God did. The imperative. What are we going to do? This is where uh, Paul transitions in chapter 12. And check it out. Chapter 12. Let's read this. It says, therefore, verse 1. Therefore, say that with me real quick. Therefore, I'll read the rest because I know you'll botch it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Where our worship the direct, the, uh, where, where we direct our worship matters. Paul says in all of, all of this stuff, all this stuff happened. Therefore, in chapter 12, we transition into the practical life issues. Therefore, now, if you were in my basics class, you learned this rule in, in interpretation of scripture in exegesis is the scientific word for how do we understand the text or the, uh, I'll call it hermeneutical pyrotechnics. Okay, you ready for this? This is a lesson for theology or biblical theology 101. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? Good. Now you'll remember. So what, whenever you see the word therefore, ask the question, what's it there for? It's an easy way because that is really important. This is a transition. Okay, And so what we have to understand is what Paul does. He says, because humanity is enslaved to the desires, uh, because God is just and righteous and acted in human history, because he's restoring and redeeming what was once lost and is now found, because you were all once enemies of God, but God gave his son for you, because you were once dead to sin, because you were bound to law, because you have been made alive in Christ, because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, because you have the Spirit and you can cry out, Abba, Father, because you are more than conquered, because nothing can separate you from the love of God because he's called you he's justified you because you've been grafted into the community of faith because everything all that stuff God has done it for you therefore therefore you can now offer your life therefore in view of all of God what God has done and I have to say we worship a therefore God and I really want us to get this because if you're searching religion if you're searching for other gods there's no other God that is a therefore God Because every other religion says you have to follow the spiritual path. You have to climb the spiritual ladder. You have to check off the spiritual checklist. And Jesus did everything for us so that we could stand here with our hands in our pockets going, thank you. I'm in. And if you accept that, if you accept that reality, then this is the only way you can choose to live after. Therefore, offer your lives as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god holy and pleasing offer your lives as 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your only possible, logical response, and it's worship. This is the only thing that makes sense from this point forward. The only thing you can possibly do with your life now, because he's done everything, is just to show up and live as a sacrifice offered on the altar for God. This is what we call worship at the Garden Church. I'll talk about songs in a second. We don't really get the sacrifice thing, do we? We don't bring our, our little animals in here and we're not standing in line, you know, waiting to offer our little pets to God on behalf of us. You guys laugh. But it's quite dramatic. Leviticus tells us um, that, you know, Leviticus is a book in the Old Testament where God um, writes instructions for the Israelites who, are, who have already been redeemed on how to stay in fellowship with God. And the only way they can do that is through offering sacrifices. There were five sacrifices. Um, here, I think I've got them. There were burnt offering, which is for your sin, grain offering, peace offering, thanksgiving offering, and guilt offering. And they all have their various forms of meaning and purpose, and they're very particular and very specific. If you read through uh, Leviticus, which really is about cleanliness and holiness and staying in the right way with God, living the right life with God. And although you're redeemed, you still have, this, have to offer these sacrifices on a regular basis over and over again. You had to continue to offer these things to make peace with God because um, there wasn't a Christ who died for us in our place so that now we always have peace. We had to keep bringing back these animals. And so the, the truth is it was quite dramatic. The, the worshiper would, would bring an animal from his flock, right, that he raised with, and paid for with his own money, and he would bring it into the temple court. Okay, and standing there, he would he would wait in a long line, depending on the, the time of year. So you are like standing in, hey, Bob, what's up? No, I, ah, you know, you got your little lamb right here <sighs> or whatever, you know, like we'll, we'll do a peace offering you and I later. You know what I'm saying? Got you. And it's like for those read about peace offerings later. Um, super cheesy Christian joke. Um, standing there, you would you would hand uh, your 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 animal to the priest and you'd place your hand on the animal's head. And you would thereby identify yourself with the animal. And you confess your sin and explain the reason for the sacrifice. And then you would, you would kill the animal. And then it would be cut up and burnt on the bronze altar before God. Um, and, and then the, these were vivid images and representation of the cost of sin. What it meant for, for you to be in right relationship with God. You had to identify that this animal is taking your place. It's dying so that you may live. So you would you would you show up to the temple gathering, recognizing the cost of what it means for you to be in right relationship with God. Sacrifice. So the image that Paul has is this: you're waiting in line with this animal, and you're identifying it with the animal. And there are so many intrinsic details that I wanted to go through, but I'm not. And 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 you have this picture of 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 the animal being placed on on the on the, on the altar and. It's being burnt as a fragrant offering to God so that you can be in right relationship with God. And Paul says, your lives are on the altar. You are the sacrifice and it's living. And your bodies, when Paul says you offer your bodies, he's saying not just your physical bodies, which for some of us, that I need to say this, offer your physical bodies as a sacrifice for what Jesus has done for you. Stop doing the things that you're doing with your body. 
It's a temple dedicated to in, in, uh, allow the, the, the divine creator of the universe to dwell within you, to give you life. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the world. So that everywhere you go, things are being transformed rather than conformed. And so you're, you, you offer your bodies, you offer your mind. And I find this fact, you know, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind, and that's... That's actually an interesting concept that we have our bodies and we have the renewing of our minds. And I think worship is how the renewing of our mind takes place. We replace false narratives with true narratives. Do you know what I'm talking about? But we offer our minds to God. We offer our emotions to God. We offer our, our social lives, our relationships to God. We offer our finances. We offer our calendars. We offer our time, our sleep. Everything now is placed. We offer our singleness, our marriedness, our parenting. We offer all of that back for God on the altar. It's for Him to do what He wants. And the only way it's acceptable, holy, and pure, and pleasing to Him is if we live a life of obedience. You want to know what's, what His perfect will is? Become more like Jesus. Don't conform to a particular pattern. Allow the Spirit to make you a unique individual. Filled with the fullness of God. With your personality. With your gifts. With your talents. With your hobbies. With your your insights. With the way you see the world. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to all look like robots. He He loves diversity. He wants us to be full of life. So he says, offer your life as a sacrifice. Don't be conformed. Sorry. um, Holy and pleasing to him. And, and that's the image we have is now that we, we have to prepare ourselves for worship. If our everyday ordinary life is now on display as a sacrifice for God, that's the only proper worship. What do we do? How do we do this? How do we continue moving forward in this world that is tr- desperately trying to conform us, to bend us, to use our finances in a particular way, to use our sexuality in a particular way, to use our mind for our own sake, our emotions, our relationships for power. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Paul says this, he says this, he says, all of that is just placed on the altar for God. You with me? This is worship. This is worship. Worship is the recognition that all of life comes from God and our only proper response is to offer our life back to God. From our hearts to our minds, from our wallets to our calendars, from our spirits to our bodies, from our relationships to our talents, the full spectrum of our humanness, the the dirt under the fingernails that is you, is to be be lived in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God in the everyday, ordinary moments of your existence. So when you show up to work and it's a, a classroom, you're a principal, you're a teacher, you're a student. When you show up to work and it's a small shop, and, and you're, you're designing the shop and you're responsible for business. And when you're a salesperson, when you're, when you're a stay-at-home mom, you're filled with the, the life source of God so that you can offer those nap schedules to God. You can offer the walk to the park to God. You can offer the sales meeting to God. You can respond to that email like Jesus would respond to the email. This is holy and pleasing. You with me? Worship. All of life is worship. All of it is worship. And when we open ourselves up, we become aware of the heavenly realm that is all around us and discover God is in the midst of our ordinary life. Worship empowers our true self to flourish and remain a force that transforms this world rather than to be conformed by the world. When you worship, um, when your worship is directed, it has significant implications for your life and you become like what you worship. When you worship God, your soul is reoriented to the source of life. You become like God. And what do I mean? That's the whole point of discipleship. But um, 
You become patient through circumstances which would demand you to be impatient and frustrated and angry. You, became, you, you, you allow your anger to be used only in times that are appropriate. You become gentle and self-controlled. You develop a fruit that looks more like the fruit of the Spirit, full of love and joy and patience. How many of you would love that? Well, the only way to get that is through the oxygen that is worship. And we come, we show up to gatherings like this, and we come late. Because the central piece for our lives is being talked to. That's what church has become for many of us. You're missing out on the meal. You're missing out on the meal. So many of us, we, we eat, some of us are here and we eat dinner in such a way that we're racing to get to dessert. But then, have you ever had those meals where actually the, there is no dessert and the meal itself is the appetizer, the entree, and the dessert all in one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like sushi? Yeah. <laughs> When you eat exactly what the chef, the chef uh, wants you to eat, you say, whatever you want for me. For me, it's Chipotle burritos, you know, when I'm hungry. It's that silly. But there are times when I just walk in that line and I know exactly how long it's going to take. I know exactly what I'm going to say. And I just order gently. I, I pick it out, the black beans and, you know, the brown rice and the tortilla, the extra cheese and, you know, double chicken sour cream, throw some salsa on there, and then I get the Chipotle Tabasco. It's not Chipotle for me without the Chipotle Tabasco. Like, I would drive five miles back to get it, you know, and, and just open that burrito and eat it. And that's for us, when we come together to worship, we're reminding ourselves together in a discipline. Not to sing songs, not, to, not to, because we don't feel like it. Worship has nothing to do with your feelings. It's a reminder of the gospel. It's a reminder that humanity was broken and enslaved and we were given a way out and we don't have to climb that spiritual ladder. Therefore, we come in, whether we're happy or sad, joyful or in despair, and sing songs as a reminder that my soul has to be aligned with the creator of the universe. Otherwise, I'm being bent to a particular way that's going to have fruit long term in my life. So we sing songs and we put our hands up and some of us kneel. Not because we're trying to show off. Some of us, maybe, that we're single. And... <clears throat> yep. <laughs> oh, single lady. Oh, um, put your hands up. <sighs> because sometimes we have to remind our bodies, man. I don't feel like it. I, I'm tired today. I'm, I'm, so t- I'm so frustrated with circumstance. I'm so angry. I'm, so, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm sure my wife is here. And I, oh man, and bless, you know, bless the Lord on my soul. Bless the Lord. I got to tell my soul. I got I to gotta tell my body, get in line with God. I got to tell my vocal cords to remind my, my, my breath that the breath I'm bringing, the breath I'm breathing is supplied my lungs because of him. And I can sing. I don't hurt today physically and I can stand. So I'm going to stand. Gosh, darn it. I can get on my knees because I can kneel without getting help. And I'm going to do that for Jesus because that's what we do as a reminder that our soul and the direction of our, of our worship matters. 
And if we want spiritual breakthrough, you want financial breakthrough, you want to impact the city missionally, you want to have a life that's full of goodness and love and joy, it starts by breathing in Christianity. Breathing is worship. This is our oxygen. This is the thing that sustains us over a lifetime. We've been doing it for thousands of years. Christians have been writing beer songs into worship songs because God did something 500 years ago and they need to be reminded that when they're in pubs, you can worship God. And we come to the school and I hear people say, I don't like worship. I don't like that style. I don't like this worship. It has nothing to do with your preference. Everything to do with what you're already bringing in here. You're the sacrifice, not these guys. So when we worship, it's a discipline. One, we do it because we know. We do it because of the therefore. Right? And now we know why it's there or what it's there for. Therefore, worship reconnects us to God. Worship, there's a couple of thoughts here. Worship is a discipline of identity. It connects us to God. You know, when we're singing, whether we feel like it, it begins to melt our hearts. I just had an experience. I started bawling in the, the last song before I came up. I had to like, what? I blow my nose, snot. It was a mess. And I make fun of people that cry when they're worshiping. It's an ongoing joke. I, I don't really make fun of them. Like Pete cries all the time. And... <laughs> So, like, the ongoing joke instead is, like, can I have a latte? Like, we're just crying all the time, ordering lattes. So there I am, bawling on the floor five minutes before I have to get out, two minutes before I have to get out. You know what was going on for me? My, my anger, for some reason, I'm just, I've carried this anger around because I feel inadequate. Bill, Bill Doctrine, I was meeting with him. I said, Bill, I need you to pastor me today. This was a couple weeks ago. And I said, I've been really short with Alex. I've been angry lately. I just, it's because, he goes, it's because you feel inadequate. I'm like, oh. It's like you're a new father. The church is growing. You don't know how to lead the church. You're, you're, like, just listen. He's like, of course you feel inadequate. So what? Invite Jesus into your inadequacy. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. And here, and I, I heard it, but I just got to process it for the first time. Jesus says, I didn't put you on stage because you're good enough. Somehow I have to prove that to you. That's not why I called you to preach, Darren. So I'm hearing that, and my, my heart and my anger is melting. And I, I'm like, gosh, you're so good. That despite my brokenness, my weakness, you're going to use me? Really? That's the type of God you are? Oh, man. I love that God. Identity, right? So when we connect with God, we connect with ourselves. You want self-help? Start with the Bible and see what happens. When we worship, okay, when we worship God, we, we become open to what is ultimately true, true. I used to play basketball all the time. And I remember this one time when I was a kid, I was standing under the basket and there was like seconds left and I was right there and I could have made the shot, could have gone in immediately. I could have won the game and I was calling for the ball, ball, ball. It was a, like a higher pitch, ball, ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. And, um, and, and, and the guy didn't pass it. He shot. And after we lost the game, I'm like, why didn't you pass me the ball? He's like, you weren't open. You weren't open. Now, from my angle, I thought I was. I definitely wasn't. But what, what happens is sometimes we come to church and we're just not open to the words we're singing. God, I want to experience you. But deep inside, we're hanging on to bitterness. We're hanging on to anger. We're hanging on to unforgiveness. We're hanging on to that dream that has become an idol. We're hanging on to the relationship that we're sinning in. And God's like, I want to, I want to bless you. Open yourself up. Because as soon as you do, I'm going to invade every nook and cranny in your soul. Worship opens us up. 
It's a, dis- it's a discipline of solidarity. When we do this together, we're standing in a long line of people that have died and gone before us that have confessed and prayed and sung the same songs. We're, com- we're doing this together as a reminder of one church, one family saying this is what matters most. You with me? Solidarity. Worship is what love looks like when it's directed towards God. Worship is what love looks like when it's directed towards God. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Do you know that? It's love that created all of creation and love that rescued all of creation. So when we gather, we come together simply to recognize that all of life is a gift and there are thousands and millions of ways to sing, but all that matters is that we show up and we do it together. We recognize that the last six days of the week, we've been worshiping, singing some type of song together or individually, and we come and we bring those songs together. Some of us have been worshiping the wrong thing. So what song do you bring in as your sacrifice this morning? That's what Sunday morning is all about. So we will remember worship is directed towards God at the garden. And we want to call all of us to be a worshiping church. Singing songs throughout the week and bringing that worship here. I mean, I want to see people, I just imagine people in the future just running forward because there's not going to be enough seats. There aren't going to be enough seats in the, in the house, whatever house, whether it's Franklin or somewhere else, because some, God's doing something. And if we don't get on, if we don't get our worship on, we're going to miss out. We are. We're going to miss out. Pete writes songs for us. And other people, I mean, that first song, if you missed it, we had a, Pete and I had a conversation about praise music. And like by the next week, he had that song written and recorded. You don't get that in church. That's a gift from God. We have people up here, eight people that are volunteering time to bring their talents. to Not so they can entertain us, but they can give us the same song to sing with a level of talent that moves us out of the way of this room and into the throne room of God. And we can just say, holy, holy, holy. I needed that word today to get me to this place. Do you know what I'm talking about? Worship is everything. Your worship directed towards God will give you fruit for a lifetime and eternity. So I call you, garden, be marked by worship. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you. Hmm. For those of you that are new to this faith and you want to know, well, how do I begin to worship? I want to just say this. This is, this is how you, how do I develop a life of worship? Number one, and this is my only point, say thank you all the time. That's it. You wake up, thank you. You have a car to drive. Thanks for this car, God. I, I know there's traffic, but I'm just, just so thankful that I don't have to take a bus right now to work, that I have the means to get to where I'm going, that I have a job, that I can walk on my feet without pain, that I have two feet. It, I mean, there, we, we just start learning to see all of life as a gift and just say thanks. So I just invite you to do that. Because remember, it all starts with ingratitude. Slavery starts with ingratitude. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. We're just going to sing some songs together. I think that's a fitting response, yeah? But before that, I, just, I want to invite you um, just to invite God into your life. Just say, God, and then just say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me this morning? If you want to open your hands as a sign of universal openness. We have to remind our bodies that I want to be open to God. God, would you fill me with life? And 
And when I say that, some of you, like, you need direction for life. You need an answer to a question. You need financial provision. You need uh, freedom from this broken relationship. You need healing of a physical body part. You need healing of a condition. You need uh, just some friends around you because you're lonely. You need that, those, whatever that means. Just say, God, would you just fill me with real life? Just say thank you. I want to do this because I, I promised I would do this out of discipline. But if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus and you're just being reminded right now that this is, I want to reorient my life to the real God and that's you. Would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? You're here and you're like, something's stirring. I want to give my life back to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to reconnect with this God for the first time in a long time. Would you just raise your hand? And if you're raising your hand, just wave it at me because I, oh, I see someone. Thank you, brother. I see you in the back. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's worship together. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.